Amen. Amen. Hey, how you guys doing? All right. All right. Uh, hey, my name is Austin Payne, and I'm pumped to be with you guys uh, this week. We're, we're going to be hanging out all week. My wife Paige is in the back. Can, can all you say hi, Paige? Okay. And then uh, you'll see my little girl running around too. She's got like bright blonde hair and she's just like constantly busy and into something. And so uh, her name's Piper. So if you, if you see us running around at all this week, come give us a high five, say hi to Piper. Um, she can be a little shy at first, but I promise you, she is not shy. If she's, if she's acting shy, it is a complete act. This, this girl is, she is wild in all sorts of ways. And so um, we are just pumped to be up here at Hume Lake this week. We love this place. I actually met my wife up here at Hume Lake Christian camps on staff. Oh, I know, I know. Um, and I just, I love this place. I love Meadow Ranch. Any place that you can come and hang out for a week that doesn't have cell service, number one, can I get an amen? Okay. And two, that has, like, y'all, look, there's clouds above you, like lit up clouds and a butcher shop and a massive toilet. Like this, I love Hume. This place is incredible. Um, I, I'm, I'm from San Diego. I live down in San Diego. I work for, a, thank you, what's up? I work at a church called North Coast Church. I work with ninth and 10th graders there, so I'm a high school pastor. And, uh, but I'm not originally from San Diego. My family, I was born up in the Bay Area. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a hardcore San Francisco Giants fan, okay? I'm a, big, I'm a big Golden State Warriors fan. Yeah. And I'm a Raiders fan. Yeah. I know, I know, I know. I am, I am walking, walking, talking proof that you can love Jesus and be a Raiders fan, okay? There's like three of us, there's three of us, okay? We're trying to get a fourth, so. Um, but I, I moved from the Bay Area when I was young, and my, my whole family actually moved down to a place called Quito, Ecuador. And when I was seven years old, uh, my family moved down to South America, and I spent 11 years down in Ecuador. I'm the youngest of four kids. Where are my youngest, youngest siblings at? Hey, that's what's up. Okay, shout out. Uh, I, I personally think being the youngest is the best because your parents get to learn parenting on the, all the other kids, right? They make all the mistakes, and then you're just fine. You just get to cruise as the youngest. But... We moved down there when I was seven. The biggest change for me from moving uh, from, from Southern California at the time, like a place called Lake Arrowhead, down to Quito, Ecuador, was sports. Right? I was a big baseball fan at the time, and then I ended up playing soccer, uh, fell in love with the sport of soccer, and played it the rest of my life. Um, okay, great, great. Soccer growing in popularity in the U.S. But uh, when, I was, when, when I was little, I was about nine years old, uh, my, my dad took a phone call, and you know those phone calls that your parents take that you start kind of eavesdropping in on because they say a certain word? So my dad, my, dad said, my dad said the word monkey like three or four times in a row on the phone. And so all of us kids are like, we're like, like grabbing my siblings. I'm like, hey, hey, hey dad, dad said monkey. Okay? So we're all like, we got like the cup and we're like leaning up against the wall. We're trying to eavesdrop. And, then, and my dad opens up his office door and we're like, oh, yeah, no, we weren't, we weren't listening. Like, we're chill. We're fine. We're okay. We're cool. And then he, go, he looks at us. He does one of these things with the phone. He like covers it and he goes, hey, y'all want a monkey? And we're like, like what any nine-year-old would say, or honestly, any human being would say at this time. We're like, uh, yes. Like that's, so here's what, here's what had happened. 
One of my dad's friends had gone down into the jungle because Ecuador has like a third of Ecuador's Amazon jungle. And he had come home with this little pocket marmoset monkey. Had like a white Fu Manchu mustache, tail three times as long as his body. Like incredible monkey. But the problem was my dad's buddy, he came home with this monkey and he walked through the front door and his wife looked at him and said, absolutely not, right? Like that monkey is not living in my house. But my mom was traveling, okay? She was gone. So my dad goes, hey, kids, y'all want a monkey? We're like, uh, yes. Okay, so we get this monkey. We put him in. Uh, I had a dog named Seamus. He was a golden retriever. And uh, we put him in my dog's cage with like a few sticks and leaves to recreate what he was used to in the jungle, right, like you do. And so we put him in there, and we get like construction gloves on, and we're like, what, what do you do? You know, and then slowly but surely, like eventually my mom came home, and, you know, she was like cool with it eventually, right? It's like dozens of roses and like lots of apologies and you know what I mean? But like my, we ended up taming this monkey and he was a, a part of our family for a couple of years and the, the, we named him Chime, okay? Which in a local tribal Ecuadorian language means monkey, okay? I know, I know, okay? But my, my family, like, weirdly enough, we had a bunch of animals. Like, I don't know why. Like, we, we, there was enough kids, but we just would always have, like, different animals coming up. We had a dog named Seamus, a cat named O'Malley. Um, we had two, like, Amazon parrots at one point. We named them Dumb and Dumber. Uh, I had a turtle. I had a fish. Like, we just, like, always, and, and I, loved, I loved growing up in Ecuador. It was, it was a blast. So I spent about 11 years there. I graduated high school down in Ecuador, um, loved playing sports down there. And then when I, I graduated high school, moved to California, moved back to California to go to Biola University. And um, hey, let's go. Hey, go Eagles. And uh, played soccer at Biola, studied biblical and theological studies, and then uh, worked up at Hume for a couple of years, bounced around California, and now home base, San Diego. Been there for about five years now. Uh, but I love this place, y'all. I love Hume. And I want to kind of double down on something Harrison said up here a minute ago of, I, I don't want you to miss what's happening this week, right? Like this set is awesome. The recreation that y'all are going to play is bananas. Like the free time's great going out on the lake. Like you're going to have a great week, but I don't want you to miss why you're here this week. Hey, y'all have any pet peeves? Like uh, any, okay. Uh, wait, wait. So, what's your name, dude? Van. Your name's Van. That's a sick name. Van, what's your pet peeve? Drinking milk, like when somebody else, like if you walk in and somebody else is drinking milk, they're like, okay, all right, that's what's up. Um, my man, what's your name? Well, wait, I got to hear him. So when, when Jonah's talking, y'all got to listen. Jonah? Jonah, what's your biggest pet peeve? Getting swallowed by a whale? I'm just kidding. What is it? Chewing with their mouth open, okay? Who else agrees? Who else agrees? Okay, that's disgusting. Um, who else has a pet peeve? Pet peeve. Pet peeve. Uh, I need a lady. Yes. What's your, what's your pet peeve? Way too many pet peeves. My pet peeve is when people have too many pet peeves. Okay. What? Oh, she just looked at the dude next to him. You're in trouble, bro. Okay. Um, getting left on red. Okay. Here's I, so Piper, Piper, uh, she just, she's about to, she'll turn two this fall. And so she's got lots of toys like this one, okay? And now you might look at this horse and go like, oh, it's a cute horse. Um, Piper's obsessed with what she calls nay-nays right now. 
And so she, like anything horses, she just, she just loves. And so my mother-in-law got her this horse, and here's the problem with this horse, okay? It's like, it's cute. It's got a little bandana, you know? It's doing its thing, a little horsey thing. Uh, but here's the problem with this horse, okay? Okay, so that's, that's one rotation, okay? That's once. That's one, that's one click of his right ear, okay? It took me seven hours to get here from San Diego today. Okay, all right, you get the point, right? You get the point. So, so here's, here's, my, here's my current pet peeve, okay? Um, it, like, I, I love my daughter more than anything in the world, like, genuinely. Like, she has changed my life. I love this little girl. Like, I want you guys to meet her this week because she's just, like, I believe she is just, she's just this little bundle of joy, and I love her. But here's the thing about kids, okay? Kids have, like, an unsatiable thirst to, like, button mash these kind of toys, Okay? <laughs> And so no matter what kind of toy it is, like homegirl, I genuinely think, like if we didn't take this from her, I genuinely think like until these Duralast batteries, like which are advertised to go for just forever, right? <laughs> until those ran out, I think she would just sit there and just press his little right ear and then just press his little right ear and then just press his little right ear. And on a drive from San Diego, like it's, it's really easy for me to sit there and, and like for a while I can go to my happy place, right? Like I'm, I'm with y'all, like the first couple ones, it's like, I'm like, and I like, kind of like remix it in my head, right? I'm like, and got the horses in the bed, right? Like I'm like trying to like try to go to a different spot in my head so that I can enjoy it. But y'all, like I don't care who you are. I don't care what, what your like meditative state is and how your incredible ability to go to your happy place. Like after a while, it's just like, like the pet peeves are just like, <laughs> I'm like, babe, you got to take that horse from her. Like, or I need to pull over and go to In-N-Out and eat like three double-doubles and just <laughs> go to my happy place, okay? But here's, here's y'all. Bigger, bigger than any button-mashed toy, you know what my biggest pet peeve is, genuinely? Like my number one pet peeve in the entire world is this. My number one pet peeve is this. So I'm a high school pastor, but I work with the lower half of high school. So I work with 14, 15, 16-year-olds. So it's where y'all are about to be. Okay? Y'all, sixth graders, seventh graders, eighth graders, like in just a few years, you would be in my ministry at my church. Here's my biggest pet peeve of all time. My biggest pet peeve of all time is when people tell me that sixth graders, seventh graders, eighth graders, junior hires, that you, you can't sit through a chapel without bothering the person next to you. And, and stay with me. Listen, listen to me. This is my biggest pet peeve. My biggest pet peeve is when I tell people that, hey, I'm going to teach at this, this place called Hume Lake Christian Camps. I love it. It's been a big part of my story. Um, Hume changed my life in so many ways. And I'm like, what? they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm teaching to these junior hires. And they're like, why, why, would you, 
why would you teach to junior high? Like, they're just going to mess around the whole time. They're just going to, like, elbow each other. They're just, they're going to, like, draw on things. Like, they can't sit through an entire chapel. And here's my biggest pet peeve. I say, I go, that's not, it's not true. Y'all, I'm going to make two commitments to you this week, and then I'm going to ask that you make one commitment back to me, okay? Here's the two commitments I'm going to make to you. Number one, because that's my biggest pet peeve, I'm going to treat you like adults this week. I am. Here's why. Here's why. I think you can handle it, okay? So Harrison already challenged you up here, and when he said, hey, let's pray, let's spend 30 seconds in silence, I love, friends, that in a room full of 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, that you can sit in complete silence and go, I can do this. I'm capable of it. When somebody stands up on stage that you can engage, that you can listen, that you can actually open up God's word and lean in and read along with me because I'm going to treat you like adults. I'm not going to dumb it down. I'm not going to go, boys and girls, listen, listen, hear, hear, right? That's what I would do if I thought that you were incapable of sitting through a chapel, but I think you can because I've seen it time after time after time after time after time. I believe you're capable of leaning in to a discussion on truth. And so I'm gonna treat you like adults this week. That's my first commitment to you, okay? My second commitment is this. Everything that I say up here on stage, everything you see in the dramas, everything spoken by the band, everything spoken by your camp directors and your leads, but in particular, my, my part, okay? Every time I step up on this stage, it's going to be rooted and grounded in God's word. Okay, I believe wholeheartedly that this is the greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told in its entirety. And my commitment to you this week is I'm going to treat you like adults, and then I'm going to speak to you straight out of God's word. Okay, and we're going to open this book up, and we're going to dive in, and we're going to read it together because I think you're ready for it. And then when you engage in conversations in cabins, or when you come up to me, which I hope you do, please do, come find me and ask me a question. My expectation is that our conversation is going to be based around this. Hey, this is what I'm concerned with this week, and this is what I want to dive into conversations about. Hey, so those are my two commitments to you. Here's the commitment I'm asking back from you, okay? My commitment from, that I'm asking that you give to me is that this week that you lean in. Hey, and Harry already kind of said this up here, but I, I love the challenge for you long-term church kid Hey, like if you've grown up around camp and you've grown up around church and you've, like you've been to Hume before, you've been to other camps before and, and you, you like live at church, hey, for those of you church kids, lean in this week. Don't miss what God has for you this week. Don't sit here and go, oh, I've already heard all this before. I promise you the God of the universe is bigger than you expect, bigger than you could ever possibly hope. And he loves you so deeply that he wants to show up in your life this week. And if you're here this week and, and you don't really know, right, maybe you didn't, like there was a lot of first timers here and you didn't really know what you were signing up for. Or you don't really fully grasp what camp is. Maybe, maybe you go, I don't really know about the Bible. I don't know about this God character. Same question. Would you lean in this week? Would you be bold enough to go as a sixth grader, as a seventh grader, I'm, as an eighth grader, I'm going to lean in to what God might have for me this week. Can we do that? Yes? Okay. If you have a Bible with you, open up to John chapter 1. Okay, your Bible's got an Old Testament and a New Testament. If you kind of let this thing fold down the middle and then start turning to the right, eventually you'll find a guy's name named Matthew. Okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Okay, these are four guys' names. And these four books tell the stories of the gospel. Okay? 
And I'm going to teach you, I'm going to teach you what this word means. And then all week I'm going to ask you about it. Okay. That word gospel means what? Does anybody know? What does it mean? It means good news. Okay. The word gospel means good news. So let's try to say that together. Okay. The word gospel means good news. Okay. Amen. Okay. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all four of these books are the gospels and they tell the good news of Jesus and who he was, that he walked this earth, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on a cross, and that he resurrected. He didn't stay dead. And we're going to get into this story later this week. But John chapter 1, verse 1, it starts differently than any other gospel. Hey, the gospel of Matthew, he's writing to a Jewish audience. And so he's very concerned with an Old Testament understanding. He's expecting that you know this part of your Bible if you're going to read this part of your Bible. Hey, the, the gospel of Mark, for those of you that don't really like to read, Mark is your shortest gospel. Hey, he, everything is immediately this and then immediately that. He kind of tells this like bang, bang story of everything that happened in a nutshell. Hey, Luke was a doctor. And so Luke writes with incredible detail. He says, I've taken it upon myself to write a detailed account of the life of Jesus. And so he writes this in, in great detail of the, uh, the different miracles and the ways that Jesus taught. And then John, John is my personal favorite gospel. Because John writes totally different. When you open up the other books of the Bible or the other gospels, you kind of get into this story. And then when you open up John, it's like, what are you saying? It's, it's profound and yet it's simple. And he uses analogies of light and darkness, but he completely skips Christmas. He's just, just not concerned at all with the birth of Jesus. He completely skips over the baptism of Jesus, which the other gospels go into great detail of. And so John, he just writes fundamentally different. But I love that at the end of his gospel, he kind of gives away why he's writing. In John chapter 20, verse 31, he says this, and you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to tell you what it says. John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, I write these things down so that you might believe, and that through believing, you'll find life in this person of Jesus. He says, the reason I'm writing the entirety of this book is because I want you to believe in Jesus, and not just so that you believe in him up here, but so that it changes every part of your life. And so John chapter 1, verse 1, read this with me, okay? If you're there, say preach. Okay, that was weak sauce. If you're there, say preach. Preach. There we go, okay? John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Okay, pause, look up at me. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Hey, there's a reason that word, word, is capitalized in your Bible. Hey, so if you have a pen, uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to circle that word in your Bible, and then I want you to just put a little line. And if you're asking the question, oh my gosh, can I write in my Bible? Yes. Okay. The answer is yes. Unless you're borrowing it. And then the answer is still yes. And say you're welcome to the person you ever give it back to. Okay. Circle that word. Just put a little line. And then write, write Jesus right there. Okay. This is referencing Jesus. So in the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. He, which is referencing who? Jesus, okay? Here's like a fun church fact. If you fall asleep in chapel 
And then the guy up front like prompts you to respond to something. And he's like, well, who's he? And you wake up like, if you just say Jesus, you'll be right like 98% of the time. Okay, that's just, that one's for free. Hey, verse two, Jesus was with God in the beginning. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Okay, if you, if I was speaking right now to a first century Jewish audience, okay, if we could go back 2,000 years, and you opened up to the scroll of John chapter 1, and then you read these three words, in the beginning. Do you know where a first century Jewish audience, where your Bible was written, do you know where that, your, all of our minds would immediately go to? We would all go, <gasps> Genesis. Genesis, okay? So here's what I want you to do. Open up with me to Genesis chapter 1. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. If John chapter 1 prompts us to go back to Genesis, let's go back to Genesis. If he says in the beginning, let's go back to the beginning. Hey, here's the coolest thing about your Bible. Here's the coolest thing about your Bible. This book, hey, written over a span of 2,000 years. So from when it was started to when it was finished, it took about 2,000 years to write. There's 66 different books in here, written by 40 different authors, written on three separate continents in three languages over a span of 2,000 years. And here's the coolest part. It tells one single story. Okay? So this book, don't, don't confuse it that it's a bunch of separate stories or that it's a bunch of different books and chapters. See, this book was not written to you, but it was absolutely written for you. And if you're anything like me, I grew up thinking that this was just a bunch of rules and regulations, and it was a bunch of things that I had to do to get to God. But here's the greatest news. This book is not about what we have to do to get to God. It's actually about what God has done to get to us. Okay, so let's pick up this story in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, in the beginning, who? God. In the beginning, God. Okay, so if you're taking notes tonight, which I highly encourage you to do, here's what I want you to write down. In the beginning, God. If God is in the beginning, it means three things. If he was before the beginning and in the beginning, God, it means number one, that he has always existed. That if he was in the beginning, before space and time, that means he has to be outside of space and time. So number one, in the beginning God, means that he's always existed, one. Number two, it means that he is the source of life itself. If in the beginning God created, then from God comes all of creation, right? If you see creation, it says that there is a creator. If you're walking in the woods, and you're just walking along, and you see a cabin, you don't think to yourself, there must have been a crazy storm, and all of these trees must have just fallen and built this cabin. No, you go, there is a cabin, therefore somebody built this cabin. Right? Creation says that there is a creator. So, number one, in the beginning God created, means he always existed. Number two, that he is the source of all things, that he is the source of creation. And then number three, contextually, remember John chapter one? In the beginning was the word, which is who? Jesus, okay? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Through him all things were made, nothing was made without him. Does that make sense? Yes? yes? 
<laughs> when I read John chapter 1, it's like, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Through him all things were made, nothing was in it. And I'm like, what are you talking about, John? Right? The rest of the Gospels are like, let me tell you a story. There was a baby. I'm like, uh-huh. Okay, I'm tracking. And then John's like, in the beginning was the Word. I'm like, what's the Word, John? Right? I don't get it, John. And only through reading the entire book of John, which, spoiler alert, we're going to do this week. We're going to go through the whole book of John in one week. Okay? So when John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, all things were made through him. Who's that him? Jesus. Jesus. Okay? So contextually, when you read your Bible as 66 books, 40 authors, three continents, three languages, 2,000 years, one story, then you can read in John chapter 1 and understand that in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created, we understand that Jesus is actually the one who creates, that Jesus was in the beginning with God, equal to God, and it was through Jesus that the earth and life was created itself. So he doesn't, Jesus doesn't show up in the New Testament. He doesn't show up for the first time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In the flesh he does, but we can root him in Genesis chapter 1 because of John chapter 1. So in the beginning God, we know three things. Number one, God always existed. Number two, he is the source of all life. And number three, Jesus existed in the beginning in full equality with God. Okay? And so God creates, he creates uh, light and darkness, he separates water from land, animals come, and then in, in Genesis we find out that his, his greatest creation was you and I. It was man and it was woe man. Okay? And in, at the end of Genesis chapter 2, God creates man and woman, Adam and Eve, and then Genesis chapter 3 is where everything goes bad. And I want you to turn there with me. Okay? And this is where we're going to finish. Genesis chapter 3. Hey, read this with me. Should be just turning like one page, okay? So many, so many pages turning in there. Where's chapter 3? Okay, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, underline those four words in your Bible, you must not eat from any tree in the garden. Okay, now the serpent was more crafty. Genesis chapter 3 introduces the fact that we have a very real enemy. Okay? That God is in the beginning and he creates Adam and Eve and they're living in perfection. Okay? They're living in perfect relationship with God. They live in a garden. They're experiencing the world as it was meant to be experienced in perfect relationship with God. But also in the garden, there's an enemy. Okay? And this enemy, Satan, he's in the form of a snake, and it says that he's more crafty than any other creature. Now, friends, I want you to just, let's just talk real quick, okay? Where are my strategists in the room? Like, you like board games. You, when you're playing video games, like, you're the ultimate, like, you know, you're looking up the YouTube videos on like how to, the best strategy possible. Okay, stay with me, stay with me. If we have an enemy, if we have an enemy who is more crafty, more strategic than any other, my, my hunch is that if the enemy was crafty, that he would attack God's analogies. Hey, you know what an analogy is? It's, it's a, 
a simple truth that helps us understand a complex truth. It's a, it's a very simple truth that helps us understand a complex truth. And so if I was an enemy of God, I would attack God's analogies. So when God calls himself Father, he says, I am God the Father. You know what our enemy does? He attacks the picture and the understanding that we have of fatherhood. Look around us. In 2022, we live in a fatherless generation. We live in a generation where in, even in this room, right? Some of you have awesome dads, for sure. Some of you have like dads that are great examples, that uh, are still at home, that love you. And then when you read in your Bible that God is a father, you go, oh, that makes sense. But here's the reality. There's a lot of you in this room who have terrible dads. And when you read that God is a father, you go, what? So he's mean? So he's absent? So he's not around? So he doesn't like spending time with me? Right? That's a terrible analogy for you. And if I was the enemy of God, and it says that he is crafty, he would attack at the analogies that God uses to describe himself. Hey, when God says that his church is the bride of Christ, you know what I would do if I was the enemy and I was crafty? I would attack marriage. And I would say, fundamentally, I'm going to confuse the understanding of what marriage is. Because if the church is the bride of Christ, and we live in America where the divorce rate is like 50%, and if, I, if we just went through this entire room and I asked, are your parents still married or are your parents divorced? Hey, the odds would show that about half of this room would go, yeah, my parents are divorced. And so when God goes, you're the bride of Christ, for a lot of us, that's a really confusing picture. We go, huh? What does that mean? If I were an enemy of God, I would attack how God describes himself. I would, I would attack the analogies of God, okay? And I would go, if you're going to describe yourself like that, I'm going to make that really confusing for anybody that listens. And we're going to get to this later this week, but John chapter 14, verse 6, you know how Jesus describes himself? He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. So if I was a crafty enemy, you know what I would confuse? I would confuse truth. Right? We live in a day and age where it's very normal to hear phrases like, that's not my truth. Well, that might be true for you. Hey, you do whatever's true for you, and I'll do whatever's true for me. That's just not my truth. That's your truth. That's not my truth. And again, Harry talked a little bit about this tonight, but he introduced this concept of asking the question, is there such a thing as absolute truth? Can something be absolutely true? Which means it doesn't depend on you, and it doesn't depend on me. It doesn't matter what I feel like or don't feel like. It's absolutely true no matter what, wherever, whenever, however. And here's a, maybe a better question. Is there an absolute truth? And then if there is an absolute truth, what does it have anything to do with me? Is there a God? Like Genesis chapter one says, in the beginning God. And if there is a God, did he exist before everything else? Does all life flow from him? Was Jesus in the beginning equal with him and did all, were all things created through him? And if there is a God, what does it have anything to do with me? Friends, this is what we want to unpack this week. And I made a commitment to you to say, I'm going to treat you like adults. And when it comes to this concept of truth, 
Here's what I, is, is one of my biggest pet peeves, is when people go, well, it's just, it's too complicated to describe to a junior higher. It's, it's too complicated. It's, we just over, you'll overthink it. It's overcomplicated. It can't be explained simply. And friends, if I was a crafty enemy of God, you know what I would do when it comes to truth? I would confuse it. I would say there's no way they can grasp it. There's no way you can understand it. It's too confusing. But here's the reality about truth. All truth corresponds to reality. Hey, if you're a junior higher, where are my 12-year-olds at? Okay? If you're a junior higher and you're 12 years old, but you feel like you're 55, okay? You just go, I just feel, I just feel mature. I feel like an old soul. Here's the reality, okay? You have lived on this earth for 12 rotations of the calendar, the way the solar system is built and works and the way the sun rises and goes down and, and the way that the, the seasons come and go and your calendar ticks away, right? We can look at you and go, the reality is, truth corresponds to reality, the reality is you are 12 years old. And you go, but I just feel 55. And I can look at you and go, it doesn't, I don't, it doesn't really matter what you feel like, princess, okay? Like, you are 12. And you go, but I'm 55. No, you're not, right? So we can have this conversation. We can go, okay, so what is truth? Well, it's too complicated. It can't be known. Well, when you break it down that simply and go, is, are you 12 or are you 55? Well, who can know? My truth is I'm 55. And that's where we go, your truth is false. Your truth is a lie. Truth corresponds to reality. So this week, what I want to do is I want to take a look at God's word. I want to look at the book of John, and I want to look at this crafty enemy that we have that confuses the analogies of God. And when he says, did God really say? And then he's going to have this conversation. If you want to finish this passage, go on and read Genesis chapter 3 and read this conversation that the crafty enemy has with Eve. But he goes, did God really say? He fundamentally gets to, tries to get her to do two things. Doubt God and doubt what God says. It's the oldest trick in the book. Doubt God, doubt what God says. Okay, so can truth be known? And if it can be known, what does it have to do with me? Is there a God? And if there is a God, what does it have to do with me? And here's how I want to close, friends. For me, in my life, yeah, I grew up on the missions field. I grew up going to church. Uh, I was that kid that went to like a private Christian school and went to Bible classes and then graduated from high school and went to Bible University and got my degree in biblical and theological studies. Like I knew the answers through and through. If you asked me a question about God when I was in junior high, the odds are that I would probably know the answer to that question. Okay, but here's what I missed. And this is what my hope is for you this week, is that you don't miss the same thing that I missed growing up. When I was in junior high, for most of high school, I looked around me, and I looked at Christians, and I looked at non-Christians. I looked at people that were following Jesus, and I looked at people that weren't following Jesus. And here's what I thought. If you follow Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, you're going to live kind of a boring life now. Why? Because of this thing. Rules and regulations. A bunch of here's what you can't do's. 
And I remember thinking to myself, man, if I wasn't a Christian, I'd be having so much more fun. And here's what I thought. I thought I had to, in order to be a Christian, I had to live a boring life now, but I believed because I went to camps and things like this, and you know, I grew up in a family that was, uh, we, we went to church and we, we read the Bible together. I believed that there was, there was a, a place called heaven and a place called hell, and it was eternity with God or eternity apart from God. And what I knew about heaven is it sounded a lot better than hell. It didn't sound great, but it sounded better than hell. And so I thought, man, I'm going to live a boring life now because I don't want to go to hell. And so I looked at all the people that were having fun around me, the people that seemed to be getting what life was about, and I was like, man, they're doing it way better than I'm doing. Like, they're having so much more fun. They're, like, dating, and they're, like, doing all these things that seem way better, and they're, like, partying and whatever. Like, I wish I could be doing those things, but those people are going to hell. And I was like, I guess I'll choose boring life now and heaven later rather than fun life now and hell later. And friends, here's the problem with that. I missed this. The greatest story ever told. It's hardly ever told in its entirety. John chapter 20, verse 31. I came that you, I wrote this down so that you might believe in Jesus and that through believing in him, you might have life. And you know how John defines life? It's life abundant. It's here, but it's also later. It's an eternity that can start now through the person of Jesus who existed in the beginning with God. And if there's a God, and if he was in the beginning, and if all of life came from him, and if Jesus was in the beginning with him, then friends, it has to have implications for my life here and now. So this is what I want to unpack this week. I'm pumped to be here with you. Come and find me. Give me a high five. Meet Piper. I'm stoked to dive into this book with y'all. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity we have to, to just dive into your word this week. God, I pray this week that, that we would lean in, that this wouldn't just be a week that we go off the blob or come to a cool place like Hume or hang out with our friends or eat milkshakes. God, but, but would this be a week that we look back on for the rest of our lives and just know that, that everything was different after that week, after I understood who you actually are and the lengths that you went to demonstrate that you love me. God, would this be a week where you change lives, where you transform, where you enter in. God, may we experience you in a way that we've never experienced you before. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.